I do enjoy our worship here. I just want to say amen and let's go home. No. No, let's don't go home. Let's just sit down and talk about what's happened this last week, what God's doing in our hearts and lives. It's good. It's good. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been in uh, chapter 3 of Colossians. Uh, and um, we find here that uh, God encourages us uh, to live a life from his perspective. Seek those things which are above. Set your mind on the things which are above. Think from his perspective. And as new creations being conformed to the image of, of Christ uh, were to put off the inner sensual desires and the outward displays of anger and put on compassion and love. And we're to live in the new life we have in Christ. And today I want to walk just to finish the, the end of uh, that one section in terms of how do we do this? How do we walk? And then I want to walk, I want to go into just some practicalities of what does that new life look like in our home and in the places where we work. And uh, so I'm looking at uh, verse 15 and uh, uh, grateful that Tim uh, read the text this morning that uh, we're going to be looking at. So in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule In your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. That's a whole Sunday message right there, but we're going to look at least highlight some key things that are here. How do you let the peace of Christ rule in your heart? Uh, What's the peace of Christ? I think I know when my heart's at ease. I think I know when my heart's at there's peace. You know, it's peaceful in my heart and my life. I think I know what that's about. It's sometimes fleeting. It's often distracted by the events of life and the, the difficulties that come our way, the things that were unexpected, that were not pleasant. And that disturbs our peace at times. But what is the peace of Christ? What does it mean in in Philippians when it says, um, don't be anxious for anything, but pray about everything. And the peace of God will guard your heart as you trust in Christ Jesus. There's an awareness. The peace of Christ is an awareness of his presence, his grace and his mercy that is constant toward us. Can I allow that relationship with Christ and awareness of his presence and all that he is? Can I allow that to be the standard, the rule in my life? And I want to walk in the things and do the things and think about the things that allow the peace of God to overwhelm me. That it be the standard and the rule in how I live my day and how I live my life. It feels a lot like an ideal that you grasp for and it comes in fleeting moments. But that's not how the scripture reads. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And what I find interesting is in that verb, let, to allow, to grant permission To make a decision, a commitment, that this will be true. I am determined, Lord, 
to be intentional about letting your presence and all that you are rule in every moment of my life. And I think the best way we can become aware of that, the way, not it's the best way, but the way we usually become aware of that presence of God and his peace is following difficulty that's bigger than us. And we have no other option but to plead him. But that's okay if the difficulties come our way to make us conscious of our need of him and we pursue him and find him faithful in presence, his peace rules in our heart. I ask the question, being aware of Christ's presence and his teachings, are you at peace with your thoughts, with your attitudes, with the decisions that you're making, or the activities of your life? It's just a good question to keep processing in in your mind in the course of a week. Am I living my life in the peace of Christ? See, it's it's sometimes difficult for me to stand up in front of you and speak to you when my wife is present. And all you guys know what I just said. (laughs) I think um, there there are two mirrors in life uh, for me. One is my wife, who mirrors back to me uh, what it is that I'm doing, acting, saying. I can see it in the expression of her face, or her bodily posture, or often the words she gives back to me. But she's a mirror of what I am. And the other is our children. Because they just act out the way I do. Well, some of it, the way Carla does, the good things. That won't gain any points, by the way. (laughs) But he calls on us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And I said, is there peace in your heart? Then maybe there's something that you're doing in that moment that's not, not pleasing to him, not productive, not positive, not constructive. So just weigh that as the rule of your heart. Is my heart at peace with God and with myself? and with the people around me. And I find it interesting in this text uh, to let the peace of Christ rule in in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. So it's not just the peace that's in your heart, but it's the peace that exists within you as a group, as the body of Christ. Let the peace in the community rule. That we live in relationship with one another in a way that's at peace. And when we need to apologize, apologize. When we need to forgive, we forgive. We let the grace of God in Christ Jesus rule in our hearts, in the body. And when these are true, it's not difficult to be thankful. A grateful heart is always a good indicator of spiritual health. The second let in this passage is the next verse, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We've been doing that this morning. But the statement here, another let, make the decision to allow this to happen. Allow the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts. Allow, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. How do you do that? Know it well enough. Know the scriptures well enough that you can reflect on it. When you're driving down the road, when you're walking down from one place to the other, when you're sitting in quiet reflection waiting for something, that the word of Christ is present in your heart, in your mind, that it's there to reflect on. I love the words of Jesus in his uh, last evening that he had together with his disciples. He says, it's necessary that I leave you. He was telling him that uh, he was going to be arrested and, and tried and crucified and buried and raised again. He told them that several times. They just never got it. <clears throat> but in that last night, what he said to them is that the spirit has been present with you. But when I leave, he will be in you and he will remind you of the things that I have taught you. Now, how is the Spirit going to remind us of the things that God has taught us, that Jesus has taught us, if it's not in our think that he can bring it to our awareness? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you so the Spirit has that present in you that he can bring it to your memory. It's pretty rich. There are times when those words that uh, I was encouraged to memorize when I was in my high school years, and the things I've memorized since, just because I've taught them enough time, they're embedded in me. But to know those words that are, that are buried in my heart and my mind, that the Spirit can touch. And sometimes they're there as an encouragement, and sometimes they're there as correction. But I want to give the Spirit of God something to work with in my head. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Study it. If you need some help, there's all kinds of books that are out there, kind of study guides that help you read through a text and ask you questions to process some of the things that's there. But work through the Word. And some people don't do real well with the study part. Uh, life is too full. I don't have time to do that. Um, you know, there's just the simplest process in the world. Read it three times. There's something about when you read something that, like the plow, makes a, a crease in your brain. And when you read it again, the, the, it goes a little deeper as, it, as you, the plow moves through you, is the, the word that you're reading, whatever you're hearing. And you hear it a third time, it's even deeper. I don't know if that visual helps you. But I just said, the more times that I process God's word, the more it's ingrained in me, and I memorize it without trying. And you can do that too. 
I like, I like being asked to speak because it makes me be in the Word. Because when I prepare, I prepare for me first. I just want God to just plow it in through my heart and my life. Because I want you to have the real fleshed out things that come with us when we read God's Word. And it's still God's Word and the Spirit's going to speak to you as He speaks to you. But I want you to know it in a tangible, real, practical way that you can go home and apply it. And if I don't get moving, I'm not going to make it through this text again today. I just love being with you. Study God's Word. Memorize it. Uh, I remember a a verse that I memorized in in my high school days, Psalm 119.11. Wherewithal shall young men cleanse his way by taking heed to your word. Your word have I hid in my heart so I won't sin against you. Psalm 119.11. Be a part of God's word. Discuss it with other people. Consider its application to you. Pray about your response to what you've been reading. And as you learn and understand and grow in wisdom... Teach it to other people. Admonish other people with the things that God's teaching you. You don't have to be a preacher, teacher, pastor to do that. You can be a friend. Speak the encouragement of God's word to each other. Speak the admonitions, the corrections to one another. You don't have to come as God. You can just say, I think the book says, and then God's spirit can do what he's going to do with this word. But encourage each other in your worship with grateful hearts. Admonishing, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I've tried looking all over as to what's the difference between a psalm and a, and a hymn and a, and a spiritual song. I can create a, a definition here for you. It's certainly singing. At least a melody that's in your heart that doesn't come out of your mouth the way you want. The Psalms, as you read in the Old Testament. The word psalm means song. The Psalms are just a a book of songs. So admonish one another with psalms, songs, with hymns. It's interesting in the Greek, the word is humos, hymn. That's where we get our word hymns from Greek. Some have said the psalm is uh, a song to God, and the uh, the hymns are songs are about God and us, and that spiritual songs are personal testimony of God's grace and mercy, expressions of our heart to Him. You can do whatever you want with that, but do it with thankfulness in your hearts, as you do here. Enjoy you. You do well at moving in this direction when we get together. I get excited when I come up here because you prepared us to listen to God and not me. I like that. Third thing in principle that's here, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And everything you do, and I might say say, everything you do or say, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what does that mean? You do it as a representative. 
you work for a company and you go out and, you, and you're, you're out doing sales or you're, you're doing some business with somebody else that's related to your company, you're representing your company and you're there speaking in their behalf. We have ambassadors from the United States to go to all the countries of the world, except a few that we refuse. I don't get what that is, but we have ambassadors. People who go and speak in behalf of our government to somebody else. They're representatives, they're ambassadors. Do all you do recognizing the fact that you are a representative of Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, whatever you say, you're doing it in his name. As his representative, as his ambassador. So I do what I do intentionally. To honor him. To represent him well. If I can do those three things, that new life is going to show up a whole lot more in my life. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be aware of his presence. Let his word richly dwell within you. Give the spirit something to work with. And know that wherever you go, whatever you do, at any time of the day or night, you have the label Jesus on you. Do what you do in his name, representing him. So I ask the question, what does your new life in Christ look like at home? Now I've gone from preaching to meddling. Um, We could have just gone to Ephesians because he fleshes it out a whole lot more. The same that Colossians and Ephesians, by the way, are like parallel. Uh, It's like Colossians is the Reader's Digest version of Ephesians. Uh, it's kind of good to look back and forth in, in, these, in these two. I think they were written at the same time. I think they were both delivered by uh, Tychicus at the same time that uh, these came out. But that's why there's, I think there's a lot of parallel. At least there are a lot of things that had to be on Paul's mind at that time. and Focused his message to who his audience was. But he says here, um, so what does this new life look like at work? And uh, I mean at home. And the first one, I don't know why he did this. I don't know if I need to apologize or just accept it the way it is because it's God's word. But he addresses the wife first. Uh, Maybe out of honor. Wives, uh, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, Ephesians puts a, a little expansion on that statement that's helpful to us, I think. In Ephesians 5, verse 22, it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Being subject to something, someone, being submissive to someone, to something, is contrary to our human nature. A simple illustration has been helpful to me. Two people can't drive the car at the same time. Someone has to be the driver. 
And God has designated in the role of a husband and a wife that the husband is to be the driver. And the wife gets to be the passenger. However, as we'll read in just a second about husbands, the husband is to give up his life for the wife. So the driver is really a chauffeur. I don't, it's just that, that image to me to understand that you got two people living together, making decisions in life and going, you both can't drive it. You can do it together in conversations, but somewhere there's a responsibility that falls. And you can say, well, it falls on both of us together. Uh, but there's going to be a whole lot of times, I think you've all lived long enough to know that there are times that somebody's going to have to decide. And it usually comes down to a push and shove or, you know, a frying pan or a, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but those decisions come. But uh, God's design is that the man would be the, in, in the driving seat there with grace and mercy as Christ, in Christ, to his wife. And the wife is asked to be subject to, submissive to the husband. I like there in Colossians 3.18 where it says, as is fitting in the Lord. There's a standard in which, you know, the scripture does not call a wife to be submissive and subject to an abusive husband. I'd never give counsel to a wife that is experiencing an abusive verbal or, or physical abuse in a home context. I'd never give counsel to them to just suck up and live with it. That is not God's call. I'd want to go talk to the husband. I'll take the frying pan. I said, if you're in one of those kind of situations, seek help, seek support. I would say this. It may not necessarily be just a... An abusive situation, but there's also a difficulty that First Peter chapter three speaks to. <clears throat> in chapter two, the end of chapter two in First Peter, it talks about the suffering of Christ, and that He graciously endured the suffering that came His way. And it says then in First Peter three verse one, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of the wives as the husband observes your chaste and respectful behavior. In my 20 years in a pastoral role, uh, I've seen a number of situations where the wife came to faith in Christ first and the husband was very resistant. That may be true for some of you. But because of the faithfulness and and loyalty and support and the graciousness of the wife, the husband was one. Saw that the change in the wife's life and said, I want this for myself. I've seen 1 Peter 3 play out that way. Know that uh, being submissive to the husband is not a slave-master relationship. I did a wedding yesterday. Um, a young couple that I've known for about six years, <clears throat> and I read this text uh, to them, and uh, the wife be submissive to the husband as to the Lord. So every morning when you get up, just say, Lord, what would you like me to do today as you look at your husband? 
And I said, that's not what this says. You're not a slave. It's not a slave-master relationship. It's a participating relationship built on mutual respect. A participating relationship built on mutual respect. It's a supportive, submissive relationship. But one in which both know they're respected from the other. There's respect from each other. God sees you as its equals. It's role difference, not value difference. God has given the man a role. He's given the woman a role. But you both have, we both have equal value in Christ. As a wife relates to her husband as a supportive partner, she frees him to be responsible before God and his word for her welfare and the welfare of their marriage. I better keep moving with you here. Husbands, in verse 19 of Colossians 3. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. In Ephesians 5, the parallel passage, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So God is calling the husband to lay down his life for his wife as Christ laid down his life for the church. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. You see, there isn't a wife who wouldn't have a problem submitting to a husband who loved that way. When you both demonstrate this kind of love for each other, you can't help but have a beautiful and fulfilling experience. Don't lose track of the fact that you don't naturally have this love in you. It comes from God. As you spend time with him and his love does its work in our life and, and we're filled with his love and that love comes out of us. We are naturally very self-centered and uncaring. Always looking out for our personal interests. What I wanted to say to some husbands is don't live at home like you drive on the freeway. Not everyone at home is an idiot. I think there's just sometimes we come for a life, we, we lose track when we walk in the front door that... Uh, I'm not at work. I'm not on the freeway. I'm home. So I just call that to remind you and remind myself. Bitterness grows out of disappointment or irritation from not getting our own way. Don't be embittered toward your wife because of your personal focus and pursuits. Come home with a love and a graciousness in your heart. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Only a heart that is constantly being transformed by God can love with sacrifice. Live close to God. Talk to him often. Reflect on his word. Trust him for your life and your relationships. 
It is his strength that will sustain you and all of your relationships. And then he addresses children. Uh, Well, there's some older children. Well, actually, there isn't anybody here in the room who isn't a child, just a different age. But children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. I want to say to children that most parents have your welfare in mind. They want what's best for you. I ache inside that I had to say most parents. Carla suggested I say some parents have your welfare in mind. I say, well, I want to be more generous than that. But you know your own hearts and your life. Having the welfare of your parents or other your children, and that they know that. I want to say to the children that uh, mom and dad have more life experience and they know more. Uh, learn from them. While you're in the home, have a posture of learning. It might be an interesting thing, and it just came to me here, that at home you might ask your kids, how would you describe your home? How would you describe our relationship? No, it's kind of test what they're learning along the way. Maybe it's a prompting. Questions can often be a learning experience. I remember hearing a statement in our house. Mom, you're so mean. And I remember mom responding back. Yep. That's my job. <laughs> God holds me accountable how, I'm, how you're being raised, and I'm not going to mess with God. <laughs> In Deuteronomy, it says how the parent is responsible to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. That was in the context of... Uh, the Ten Commandments coming out here. But this is, in summary of those Ten Commandments, this is where he gives this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, in verse 7, it says to the Father, you shall teach them the commands of God. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit down in the house, when you walk by the way, And when you lie down and when you rise up, God calls on the on the dad and mom to teach the commandments of God, introduce your children to the person of God through the whole course of the day in life and relationship with your kids. But God holds the parents accountable to their kids learning and growing up and understanding who God is. Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. That's Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. Honor your father, your father and mother, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. A rebellious heart is natural for every human birth, human at birth. Uh, A parent is God's design to protect you from yourself. 
until you come into a relationship with God and learn to follow his counsel. Learning how to be obedient to your parents will teach you how to be responsive to God, your heavenly father. And fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. I read that and I said, don't exasperate your kid. The kids exasperate me. (laughs) They're skilled manipulators. They're going to have their way. They can throw a fit. They can pout. They can do all kinds of things to make it uncomfortable for you until they get what they want. Well, discipline is the role of the parent. However, God thinks it's important enough to say don't exasperate them. Ephesians 6 uses another word. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think exasperating and provoking children happens enough that God chose to address it in his book. Here's just a short list of how you might go about exasperating your children. Keep nagging. Provide protection more than is necessary. Hover, dominate in their life. Show favoritism among the children in your family. Be critical about everything in your kid's life. Provide unrealistic expectations of a child. Withhold affection from them as your disapproval. Don't provide for the needs of their life. I didn't say wants. I said needs. And the other is just simply neglect them. They're a nuisance and they get in the way. Any of these behaviors will exasperate a child. So guard your heart how you live out your life with them. The next verse says, uh, addresses slaves. And in our culture and context, uh, that's illegal. Uh, so I have done something I think is parallel for us and often will feel much like that. It's slaves or employees. In all things, obey those who are your masters, your employers on earth, not with external service as those merely pleasing men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Fear the Lord, not your employer. And the reason for that is because God notices what you do with your life and how you live your life. And you honor him or dishonor him, how you do that. The next verse says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality. Notice what we receive. And when we do our work heartily for the Lord, we will receive a reward. When we do that which is wrong, we will receive the consequences. But we will receive something. 
out of the actions of our life. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 says, All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. What we do in life reflects on God, not just us. And if I can learn to live my life with an understanding I represent him in all things, I would act differently. I would at least stop and think about what are the consequences of what I'm doing or not doing. Verse 2 in Timothy 6 says, Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. I have observed this before in a situation where a, a young man or a young woman was working for a a, uh, a friend, uh, a man in, from the church in his business, uh, and the young man, young woman, knew that the owner was a believer and chose to take advantage of that relationship, taking advantage of the generosity and the gracious spirit that uh, the owner would, would give as a believer. They don't show up on time. Well, he's gracious and he'll forgive me. He understands, you know, just young and irresponsible. You know, however you do this, but don't treat them disrespectfully just because they're fellow believers. And the statement that comes out of this for me, we are bonded in Christ to all other believers. We're family. Masters, Grant to your slaves, employers, grant to your employees justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. And masters do the same things to them. Do good as unto God. That's what the servant was to do. And give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no partiality with him. Treat your employees like you would want God to treat you. We all live our lives before God and we all give an account to him. So you see here that the the wife, the husband, the child, the father, the employee, the employer, all in these relationships are impacted by how we live our life in relationship with Christ. And when the graciousness of Christ pours out of our heart because it's poured into us, and because we spend time with him, we're conscious of his presence and we let his peace be the guide in our life. We take the time to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us so that it can come out of us. And we're conscious of the fact we represent him wherever we go. We do everything in the name of Jesus. It will impact all of our relationships. I'll leave you with just a, a repeat of something we've been looking at here in chapter 3. I'll begin in verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience in any of your relationships. 
bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Christ is our standard. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Father, thank you for granting us the privilege of uh, a written word that uh, we can read, think, and reflect on, speak from. But we know, Lord, that this word was uh, prompted in the writers by your spirit, and we know it's your spirit who brings us understanding as to what's written. So we trust, Lord, that in the course of these days ahead that you will remind us of these words, that, Lord, we might be more conscious of our life and our relationship with you and conscious of your presence that we might find hearts that are submissive to you and to each other. We love you, Lord, and we're so grateful to you. Look forward to what you're going to do this week in us. We thank you in Jesus. Amen. Enjoy your day.